0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minimans, standing at the ready to fight for our liberty once anew to a brand new week here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, Monday. Hope you guys had a terrific Mother's Day weekend. I know for us, it was probably the coldest Mother's Day on record. Unbelievable. You know, we have frost warnings throughout the state of Maryland. And it just goes to show you how everything in life, everything in the news cycle, they could get you to focus on an exception to the rule at any given time. Uh, Oh, my gosh, it's the warmest it's ever been. And really, you know, the rest of the time, it could be the coldest it's ever been. Oh, my gosh, we're, we're punishing criminals too much. And really, that's the one in a million case. And, you know, 99% of the time, it's the opposite. It just got me thinking, this is why it is so important to be focused on the right issues at the right time in the right way. That is what we are here for, slaying golden calves, slaying idols. Um, and, And really, this is where you're going to get a different view on the right than anyone. I'll be honest with you. At this stage of my life, I have a more difficult time engaging in conversation politically with friends who are on the right than on the left. Just simply because what I hate more than the left is false idols on the, on the right. Right, because you, you cannot solve, you cannot solve the problem until you, you properly diagnose the problem and acknowledge that what you're doing is not working. And I want to start off this week really as a sequel to last week and to elaborate a little bit more on the courts and the impending reversal of Roe v. Wade and what it means, what we should focus on, where it's headed, why I think the life issue in many ways is a distraction. I, I should say the abortion issue. I think the life issue is the most important thing. Life, liberty, property. That's number one. But the abortion sphere of life and how, in the way that the issue does indeed matter, namely in demonstrating the fallacy of judicial supremacism, and number two, pushing for national divorce, and number three, actually banning abortions, which No red state has pledged to fully do that yet, which is bizarre. They haven't done any of this. So again, the issue that matters and the way it matters at the time it matters, that's what we're here for. Now, our first sponsor today um, is Bambi. Again, one of the reasons why we need a national divorce is because we can't even benefit from the consistency of certain policies of the left. Heads they win, tails they win. So Uh, businesses are free, right? They could do anything they want. They could violate the Nuremberg Code. They could mandate anything. Oh, well actually no. We have insane regulations on business. Uh, Anyone who owns a small business knows HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, uh, labor, uh, labor regs, all sorts of stuff. You can't do anything you want. And, Typically, the salary for an HR manager is $70,000 unless you give Bambi a call. You go to bambi.com slash conservative right now. Schedule a free HR audit. Here's what they do for you. They have a dedicated HR manager attached to you. So it's not just, you know, you call into some sort of service every day and you get someone different. No, they're available by phone, email, chat, same person. They help from onboarding to terminations. They customize your policies to fit your business. And again, the cost is 99 bucks a month. You don't even have to commit to $1200 a year, which is already, you know, 2% of the typical cost. It's month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. Folks, Go to Bambi.com slash conservative right now to schedule your free HR today. That's Bambi.com slash conservative because you did not start your business because you wanted to spend time complying with stupid government regs. All right, so now what I wanted to say with regard to this whole court thing, a lot of people are talking about this morning, I'd say the biggest or one of the biggest news stories is the fact that Justice Alito had to go into hiding And they're protesting outside of other people's homes. And, you know, it it is an important story. But what are you going to do about it? So are you going to score political points on Twitter? Are you going to say, oh, this is why we have to make the courts even more important and we can't uh, uh, undermine the integrity and independence of the judiciary? Well, that's what Republicans are doing. And it's stupid because unlike Republicans – Every day I wake up and I'm relentlessly on message, I have a goal, a mission. It's not today's talking point. It is to achieve national divorce. And the biggest thing undermining that is judicial supremacism. Because the few times we actually do good things in red states, guess guess what? The courts screw with it. So, this is why it is so important to take this and say, you're right. These people are lunatics. They're violent. This is yet another reason why we cannot live together, why we can't continue fighting over the same three justices, fighting over a winner-take-all scenario in politics where nine unelected, life-tenured people get to determine the outcome of every issue. You're right. Every political issue needs to be devolved to the states, and let's shake on it. That is my idea. I'd say, hey, you're worried about an impending conservative court. You know what? How about this? Let's take all political issues out of the courts and send them back to the people. To me, this is the idea. And I'd say, look, we're sending abortion back to the people. In your blue states, we're not really going to be able to do anything to block it. Okay? So you'll have that. And our states will do what we want. And that's why I keep saying this. But if we're left to me, I would right now pour salt on those wounds. And I would go ahead and ban abortion to varying degrees in all the states that Republicans have the trifecta. But they're not doing it. Why? Because they have to wait till the official opinion comes out because they believe in judicial supremacism. Okay? But as you well know, I actually think, I mean, we have millions of people dying and injured from a poisonous clot shot, and now we find out Paxlovid, Pfizer's drug, might be doing the same. To me, again, that's the bigger issue that's being mandated kicking people out of the military. But. If you're going to focus on it, and this is going to be the discussion, don't sit there with this stalemate kind of pissing match on Twitter. Go ahead and right now convene and ban it. Done. Or at least every state should do what Texas and Oklahoma did. Ban it beyond six weeks. Not just the 15-week ban in in Mississippi, which is the, uh, the subject of the Dobbs case. And then, and then be done with it. Okay? Roughly half the states, including most of the states we're going to win this in, they're already out of session until January or February of next year. Okay? That's going to allow this issue to fester, allow the left and their machinery of boycotting, censorship, astroturfing, you name it, to work its magic before we could even do anything. Here's why they need to ban abortion right away. In politics, I, I, I explained this before with Ron DeSantis and his success versus the problems that Trump had. The more you debate an issue, the more it sows doubt. Especially when you're trying to implement something new that's viewed as you know, new. Oh, wow, you know, you're overturning Roe. When you just rip that scab off and implement it quickly, it demoralizes the opponents, and it actually proves the veracity of your views in the eyes of voters because you're showing a degree of confidence, of moral clarity. Voters are inconsistent. Okay, It's not like, well, is it right or wrong? If you do it, oh, wow, I guess this was the right thing to do. That's really one of my biggest observations in all my years of politics. Just do it. If you're going to do it, do it. Just look at how the left successfully implemented the COVID fascism. They just held a press conference one day, one mayor after another, one governor after another. Yeah, you know, your constitutional rights, they were good while they lasted. They're gone. Oh, you're going to be covering your face everywhere you go. Oh, schools are closed indefinitely. Your businesses are closed. Your church is closed. If they would have debated it, then people would have been like, hey, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did this virus come from? How does it work? How do you treat it? You know, and, and we had all that information. You know, it grew over time, but we had all the information to rebut that. I mean, I wrote my first piece showing tremendous amount of data uh, that kids weren't affected in the school. Shutdown was insane already in April 2020. But no, they smartly just did it. So it created, a wow, I guess this is what we have to do. I guess it's that bad. Seeing is believing. If you... Are walking as a bystander. I've used this analogy before, but to those of you who are new, I think it's important to apply here. You're walking down the street, and suddenly you see a group of like ten EMTs and doctors frantically working on someone on the ground. Okay, and you, you know you you go by and ask someone, "Hey, you know what what just happened to that guy?" And and they say he got a paper cut. Okay, you're not going to believe that because what the image that you are seeing evinces a, a, a reality of something more akin to, I don't know, the guy broke his neck. And it's the same thing here. They, they went and had such a severe draconian response because the response itself, the policy itself, it's a push-pull, it's the tail wagging the dog. It convinces the people that this is a really grave issue and I guess this is what we have to do. We could do the same thing to them. This is our time. The courts say it's unconstitutional. We don't have to be doing this. We now have 3D imaging of uh, sonograms. That thing is a total baby in there. What are you doing? You're killing it. It's over. We're not doing this for, for another day. We're not having that in this state. But if you go and kind of debate it, you allow the other side to grow legs. Okay? Okay? Number two, it will also make it harder for them to change. I don't think at this point they're going to change because the left overplayed their handier. I don't think Kavanaugh and Barrett will flip. But this will make sure they don't because they they don't want the chaos. You just have all the red states do it. But it's number three, the third reason why I think we need to jump the gun, so to speak, on them officially um, you know, putting out the ruling and ban abortion that I think is important to discuss today First off, you know, in achieving our goal of national divorce, now that DHS has created a department designed to combat disinformation, you have to wonder what's next. And believe me, telecom is very much involved in the monitoring, surveillance, spying, and and, uh, censorship as well with T-Mobile promising to censor text messages. That's why I use America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider, Patriot Mobile. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers. It really is one of the few major services you need that you have another option, um, that that there isn't a monopoly. There's almost a monopoly, but they have a plans that fit your budget. They have a amazing U.S.-based customer support team, so you always get someone who speaks English, uh, You know, because typically phone service is something you always need to call about. Um, they share your values. They support organizations uh, that share your values rather than the opposite. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash CR, as in conservative review, or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with offer code CR. Veterans and first responders will save even more today. PatriotMobile.com slash CR or 972-PATRIOT. It's time we support companies that love you, love your values, and love your country. Okay, so... Here's the biggest thing. Here's the biggest thing. By by, red states doing this right away, it will force the red states into essentially de facto um, national divorce. See, I was concerned, and and you know my view on this, which is very unique on the right. I was concerned that as much as I'm against abortion – this was going to distract from some of the more imminent issues that affect us, that affect our babies, our people. Remember, abortion is, it is murder. I believe it's murder, but it is optional, whereas they are forcing kill shots on us and many other things that are similar to that. So to me, I was scared that you're going to have all these rhinos that get up there and they use the issue to save themselves. Like, I'll give you an example. Um... We spoke about this on Friday. Governor Bill Lee refused to sign a bill making murderers and carjackers and armed robbers serve their full sentence. Okay, it passed with half the Democrats supporting, the Democrat mayor of of Memphis supported it, yet he is so radical, he opposed it. Yet at the same time, he's getting all these accolades for signing a bill banning... um, like, sending abortion pills in the mail. Okay? And again, it's like, I'm just telling you, don't doubt me. You know I'm right on this. All of these dirtbag Republican governors in red states, they'll go against abortion almost to a fault in order to obfuscate their perfidy on every other issue. It's become a big problem. That's why it's impossible to get them out. People see these headlines and like, well, I, you know, this guy seems good. I don't, I don't, we don't need a primary challenge for him. So that was my concern. But the reality is that even if Republicans aren't going to use, you know, their uh, alacrity to oppose ab- abortion on other issues, My hope is that we could drive this ship, use this opportunity, this impending reversal of Roe, not just to ban abortions, which we need to do right away, but also on other issues because of the reaction of the left. The left is going to force this. They're going to treat the red states like the way they're perceived, not the way they actually are, right? The red states are pro gun, pro or pro gun, anti abortion statist versions of blue states their health departments their education departments they're just as bad it was just recently that the florida department of health actually turned over you know the governor got rid of the old surgeon general but he's special and you know even even with him it took well into his first term to do that other states i mean they're awful but with the red states with the blue states are basically going to declare a civil war over abortion I'm like, all right, I mean, I think we should have had it over COVID fascism, over everything that has occurred the last two years. But if you're going to do it over this issue, fine, do it. I want the outcome. My point is, when, when, when you're looking at what they're doing on this issue, leaking it and threatening violence and protesting outside of the homes of these justices, my colleagues in conservative media are going to be like, oh my gosh, this is why we need to vote Republican. Um, No, I mean, you got to come up with a new strategy. To me, it's this is why we cannot share a country with people like this. It's one of many reasons. You can't share a country with people who believe that you don't have the right to bodily autonomy to be free from a coerced procedure, but you do have the right to access – a procedure that happens to kill a baby. You can't bridge that divide. Okay? This is where we're at with these people. They think if you take a baby now not only up to 9 months but but they're they're working on a lot of blue states and, and really um you know whether they've expressed it or not you know among these politicians they do believe it. That even a certain degree after they're born, you'd be like, look, you know, I don't want it. You know, I'm, I'm emotionally disturbed by the birth. Um, it's for my well being. You know, we'll, we'll just have a late term abortion, AKA up to 30 days after the baby's born. They have no problem with that. Okay. But if you don't wear a mask, if you don't get a clot shot, you're committing murder, even though actually the clot shots are the murder. And they actually spread the virus more, if not created. You can't bridge that divide. So rather than all my colleagues, they'll often say what I say, but then, okay, so what are you going to do about it? So they'll repeat the same cycle. Uh, let's try to own the libs and you know beat them and the, take back Washington. First of all, you're not going to take it back. Second of all, you're never going to control them. They're, they control us. I just want to self-separate so they can't control us. I don't want to be with them and have the same institutions, oh, we're going to protect the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's the problem. And this is really my point. If if the states would go ahead and jump the gun and say, look, we know this is the right thing. This is always the right thing. We know there was never a constitutional right to it. It was a legal fiction. And now the court has admitted that. But they do Kind of jump it before they release it, it will have the broader effect and ancillary benefit of delegitimizing judicial supremacism. It will show that when we're prepared to do something constitutional, moral, and just, we will do so regardless of what the federal courts say, which is something we need to do. It's something we need to do. If we are ever going to recreate some version of the America we always wanted in one, two, five states, I promise you, you you will have to do this. And judicial supremacism is the biggest thing standing in our way. Okay? McConnell and all these Republicans are like, oh, my God, it's an attack on the independence of the Supreme Court. We need to strengthen its, like, authority. No, I'd say to the left... Oh, you're worried about the courts? They shouldn't decide? I'm like, you're right. They shouldn't decide. The state legislatures should decide. You'll decide in your states. We'll decide in our states. Let's shake on it. And I'd be even willing to give up on guns. Even though, of course, guns are a fundamental right. But let's face it, in the blue states anyway, I'm in Maryland. We haven't really benefited 10 years into hell from, from, from it. I still can't carry here. And the red states, you know, you could carry more than ever. Most have constitutional carry. So I can move there. Name the top 10 things you would have to do in a red state in order to make it truly red. And I will tell you, the courts will be on them in three seconds. So if we have the left complaining about the courts and complaining about a supposed conservative court when it's not, I'll be like, beautiful, awesome. Awesome. Go have it. You're worried about courts dictating opinions on on blue states that you don't like? Well, I'm worried about them dictating opinions on red states I don't like, so let's shake hands on it. That is the play I would make. That is the grand bargain that I'm the only one in the country calling for. And those who don't understand it, don't understand the art of politics, they don't understand what we're up against, and they don't understand what it's gonna take to solve it. They're on the same old paradigm. Let me tell you, precisely because of where we are with Roe and and, and this Dobbs decision is why Kavanaugh and Barrett will screw us to hell in the coming months and years. So, for example, let me just say one big thing we all know that needs to be reversed is U.S. v. Arizona, or Arizona v. U.S., I think it's called, right? That was the opinion that basically said states can't even echo federal law, much less expand it, which is really what we need to do on immigration policy, right? So let's say you have a state that wants to, you know, um, you know, pull over illegals and uh, arrest them. Uh, you have a state that wants to kick them out of their education system, which should, should have happened a long time ago. Well, they'll invoke Plyler v. Doe. The lower courts will certainly invoke that. You'll get to the Supreme Court and, you know, I, I promise you they will not take up the case. If anything, they'll, they'll actively rule against us if they do grant cert in the case. You see what I'm saying? We're going to pay for this. That's the irony because of the pressure, because of all this tumult. Again, I do genuinely think that they're not going to be cowed out of the Dobbs opinion. I think that will stand legitimately. Um, although it wouldn't surprise me if language is, is reaffirmed in the opinion or in a concurrence from Kavanaugh or something when it does come out, making it clear that this is only Dobbs and not other substantive due process bull. But whether they say it or not, that's what they're going to do. I'm just, I'm just guaranteeing you. We are going to pay for it with particularly bad opinions from a 6-3, to often, liberal court, unlike what the left thinks it is. But if the left – see, to me, if the left is terrified of judicial supremacism, I'm like, great, that's the best scenario. So this is my whole idea. This is my whole idea that basically – Basically, we would go ahead and right away, right away, ban judicial supremacism. And the way to do that cleanly is in this case. You're never going to break in society to this ironclad or against ironclad rule that, that the courts rule. With finality and exclusive jurisdiction over every important constitutional question, you're not gonna break them in like with a straight defiance of the court. They're never gonna do that. I mean, I've, I'm convinced of that. No matter what I say, they're not gonna do that. You're not gonna have a red state that says, screw you. They always, they only do what the court tells them to do. But this is the perfect opportunity to delegitimize it because we do have a leaked opinion that shows very strongly worded that there's absolutely no constitutional right to prevent states from doing it. So go and do it. Oh, well, the opinion didn't come out. But that's the perfect example to show that it's not a, a firm vote. It's not like you have to wait. like in order, in order to act on a law, you have to wait until the legislature votes on the law. That's not what it is. It's, we want to know what the Constitution says. Oh, the courts say this is what it is. Oh, now we know what the, what the Constitution means. Done. Okay, here you go. So we know from a leaked opinion. It doesn't have some sort of binding. There's nothing binding about it other than the plaintiffs, um, the litigants in the case. Okay, That's what people need to understand. This was brought out during the sixth debate with Stephen Douglas when uh, Lincoln said, again, this was in Illinois, the, the Senate race in 1858, Judge Douglas By the way, he was senator, but he was a judge before, so he always kind of like rubbed it in. He called him a judge, like as if you should know the role of a court. Judge Douglas understands the Constitution according to the Dred Scott decision, and he is bound to support it as he understands it. I understand it another way, and therefore I am bound to support it in the way in which I understand it. Okay? That was the idea. And how ironic that the author of the Dred Scott opinion had to hold out the Bible and administer the oath of office to Abraham Lincoln, March 4th, 1864, when he said he rejected the notion that the policy of the government upon vital questions affecting the whole people is to be irrevocably fixed by decisions of the Supreme Court the instant they are made in ordinary litigation between parties in personal actions. And he promised to defy it, and he did. In other words, who gives out government papers? Like citizenship documents, passports. Not the courts, the executive branch. Okay? So... The Supreme Court ruled that blacks aren't citizens because they're property, of of slave own- owners. Well, you know it's kind of kind of like Roe. You know, a baby, you know, an unborn baby is not a life. That's what they rule. Okay, you could you could say that, but when it comes to me issuing passports, I believe they are citizens, and he indeed did issue um, passports to blacks, freed you know freed black slaves. That's what he did. And it's the same thing here. The court doesn't determine with finality a constitutional question if the other branches or the states believe it's bogus. Famous thing I say all the time. Okay? Alexander Hamilton famously said in Federalist 78, Judges exercise neither force nor will, but merely judgment. What does that mean? So, Judge William Pryor, he's in the 11th Circuit. I believe that he should have been picked instead of Gorsuch or Kavanaugh. He's an 11th Circuit judge. He once wrote Hamilton's point was that we must depend upon the per- persuasiveness of our written opinions to command the respect of our fellow citizens. In other words, they're not a legislature, They don't. they don't pass bills, they don't strike down, they don't veto nor pass. Okay, what they do is say, look, Microsoft v IBM, we rule with IBM. That's all they're saying. Now, they could write an opinion that in order to arrive at that decision, we had to, you know, go over this constitutional question and we feel this is what the constitution means in that context. And that's fine. And you are able to judge that opinion. But if that opinion but but, but if that building block of that opinion Resolving that constitutional question is bogus. It's something that's just outlandish. Well, the other states not only don't have to follow, it, but they have an obligation to follow what they believe really is the Constitution because they, they swear the same separate oath to the Constitution the same way a, a Supreme Court justice does. And by the way, state officials do as well to the state and federal constitutions. Right? They, they, they have to abide by that. And that's what we need. Let let me explain the foundation of what a court is and isn't in terms of, you know, a constitutional question. Okay, what what, what do they do? What do they not do? So basically, we believe in constitutional supremacy, which not only is not the same thing as judicial supremacy, but negates judicial supremacy. All three branches, all 50 states. And the people as a whole have a responsibility to safeguard the Constitution, each in their respective roles and powers. Some have more, some have different powers. The people could yell, they could protest, they could petition, media, the judiciary adjudicates individual cases, the legislature has the power to formulate statutes, and uh, the power of the purse, executive branch obviously ultimately has to implement that's very important. Remember, I say this all the time. You know, let's say, um, let's say Congress. Well, you would have to have a um, an executive branch at some point signing the bill, a president or a governor signing a bill. But let's say a previous president signed a bill that said, um, I don't know, we're gonna uh, we're gonna make all white people pay an extra tax, <laughs> which, believe me, is not outlandish. Uh, They're pretty close to doing that and kind of backhandedly try to do it, too. But let's say they they do something like that, blatantly um, discriminatory, blatantly, you know, some sort of a bill of attainder or something like that, ex post facto. You know, we're going to say anyone who retroactively owns uh, this type of house, they're going to be thrown in jail. Okay. well, that was signed by that was passed by Congress and signed by the previous president, legitimately signed as a statute. But is that the law? No, because the Supreme Law is the Constitution, and that precludes this. So you have a new president gets in there. Does he need to wait for Congress to pass a new law? Does he need to wait for the courts to so-called strike it down or declare it null and void? No. In order to implement that law, you would have to have you know, the FBI go out and arrest people take a positive action from the executive branch against people, you'd have to have, in in the case of my tax, the white tax, you'd have to have the Treasury Department collect it, the IRS collect it. So I'm just going to order them not to do that, because you can't do that. I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution. I can't violate that. Now, look, there's no doubt that when a law or policy promulgated by the political branches, state or federal government, so you know, federal or state executive or legislative branch that directly and adversely affects a citizen while implicating an unambiguous right spelled out plainly in the Constitution, citizens have the right to petition a court for relief, not as the sole avenue, but as one of the avenues for address. There's no question. I I supported the COVID litigation. A court in turn has the power to grant that plaintiff or group of plaintiffs as long as they have legitimate standing a valid, ripe grievance, they could grant them a judgment relieving them from that harm or that policy. But this is only done, as Justice John Marshall said in Marbury v. Madison, if the judge believes that the unchangeable Constitution demands such a result. He used the word unchangeable. Here's a quote. In some cases, some cases, then the Constitution must be looked at looked into by the judges, right, in order to, meant in order to resolve a particular case in front of them, okay? So that's, that's what, that's what it meant, some cases. What are those some cases? Like it says in Federalist 78, Hamilton explained what, what, um, what that means, Contrary to the manifest tenor of the Constitution, such as bills of attainder and ex post facto. He actually used that as, as an example. Nothing novel. If it's novel and ambiguous, especially if it's ambiguous, I'm not, I'm not going to say that there's nothing. Like like I said, you know, I think you have a right to breathe. It doesn't say it in the Constitution. I think it's so obvious it didn't even need to be put there. But, but fine. I mean, I'm not going to rely only on the courts for that. But that's what He meant. A lot of people think that John Marshall invented judicial review. It's not true. Hamilton discussed it in Federalist 78, you know, 15 years, 16 years prior. And that's really where where Marshall got that from. You cannot tell me that any of these cases that the left adjudicates are contrary to the manifest tenor of the Constitution, such as a bill of attainder or ex post facto. OK, so first of all, the scope of when they would even apply that was very limited. James Erdell, one of the fathers of Article three, original Supreme Court justice, he explained that judges will only, um, you know, kind of declare things unconstitutional when it's, quote, unconstitutional beyond dispute and only in a clear and urgent case. In other words, covid fascism. And indeed, he did that and in, in called her the bull very famous case called v. bull that was before i want to say 1798 it was before marbury for sure and that was involving a case of ex post facto let me give you a perfect example of, of what would be a, an appropriate use of the courts and, and and the courts actually declined to take it up so far the state of new jersey retroactively made possession of uh, a mag- magazines with i think more than that could hold more than 10 rounds um a third degree felony i want to say or a fourth degree felony they criminalized the retroactive possession of something that was lawful forever okay you have the right to go to court like look they're 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 making me a criminal for nothing manifestly against the constitution it's urgent and of course the few cases where it is like that the courts barely step in couple cases with covid like with the mask You know, a day late, a dollar short. And even then, they didn't apply the Constitution. It was more that the CDC had no statutory authority to do it. So, they absolutely, don't get me wrong, I am all for going to a court, but the notion that a federal judge is the sole and final avenue in addressing that issue, and that that opinion is self-executing on the other branches of government, even though they disagree with the interpretation and the notion that that opinion is universally binding on non-plaintiffs, that, that, that's, that's a constitutional fiction. That's judicial exclusivity, ju- judicial supremacism, that, that we've never adopted. Judges can't nullify, veto, or strike down laws the same way a president or a governor has the power to veto. They don't have that power. Here's the power a judge does have. He has the power to offer an opinion, it's called an opinion, on a constitutional question when, number one, there's a legitimate, unchangeable constitutional right in play beyond dispute. Number two, the plaintiff has legitimate standing, so not some sort of BS foreign national seeking entry into the U.S. or a third-party political agitation group that simply doesn't like a policy and wants to put it in the courts like we have nowadays where the ACLU just puts everything into court. Number three, the plaintiff has a tangible concrete and individualized injury. In fact, right from the law or policy that is directly redressable through the court. And finally, the judge only rules for that plaintiff and for the limited individualized relief sought, not on some sort of abstract policy tangentially connected to, but not pertaining to that plaintiff's request. Now, in the process of that, if they discover something, they say, oh, I think this is unconstitutional wholesale, and the other branches agree, like, yeah, this was stupid, fine, and then the body politic treats it that way. But the point is, it doesn't have an, like, it's not like a a binding vote. I say this all the time, that um, back in the day, the first Supreme Court, do you know how many justices it had? Six. Well, that's bizarre. That's an even number. I mean, if the most important questions decided with finality, exclusivity, even more so than than Congress, is vested in the hands of the Supreme Court, you would have an odd number. I mean, with only six justices, you're going to often come out with a three-to-three opinion. Okay? Why would they have done that? Remember, even though in the United States Senate, you had... You know, 50-50, or I forget the number it started out with um, initially about, you know, was it 26? 26 senators. I think it might have also started out with an even number from day one. But the Constitution, in Article 1, explicitly provides for how to deal with a tie break. That's the vice president. And that's, you know, we right now have a Congress, a Senate now that's 50-50. Although we have a lot of rhinos, but... Technically, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats. So, you know, they, they break the tie with the, um, with the vice president. There was no provision that provided for, I don't know, let's say the Supreme Court, the, Supre- uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Well, if he's on one side of that tied vote, then he, he breaks it. And then, you know, it goes in his favor and, and, and on the side that he's on. No. Because again, it's just an opinion. So if it's a tie vote, so then the de facto opinion that stood from the inferior court immediately, immediately below it, you know, nowadays it would either be a state supreme court or a federal court of appeals, one of the circuits. Then okay, so be it. So we didn't, you know, we we don't need anything decided with finality because they don't do that. There was never such design. That the Supreme Court could just grab any question pertaining to anything and decide it with finality. Nobody ever would have given them such unchecked power. That you could override anything the 50 states do at any time, in any way, irrevocable by anyone unless you amend the Constitution? Are you kidding me? I say all the time from the, Con- the Council of Revision. You know, a lot of people note that that there was a design of the Constitution, Madison's first design. Before you had uh, um, the whole, you know, Roger Sherman and the the Connecticut Plan, the New Jersey Plan, and the compromise that eventually melded into the form we have today. You know, the first few weeks when Madison had his first plan, that really you know ticked people off but really created a much stronger cuz remember originally they they got together just to revise the articles the articles of confederation like whoa 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 you're creating a constitutional government a federal government this strong but so you know he didn't iron out all the all the specifics it was a broad design so one of the designs was that you had this council of revision where the supreme court could be involved in striking down and vetoing literally like vetoing things but that was rejected and we didn't adopt that but as I always note it's more than the fact that we didn't adopt it even in the design where we were going to adopt it it's not what we have now it's not what we have now this is worse than the council of revision because a couple things number one number one and those of you who used to listen to me years ago, you might have heard me say this, but we have a lot of new, new listeners, and I think this, this is very important, because so, most people will live their whole life, and they think a court could just strike things down. Even when Madison had a design like that, first of all, it was shared jurisdiction with the president. So you have to understand, they created Congress. He had, he, he had like one article for Congress, and then it was, okay, man, Congress is very powerful now how do we have a check on congress so he, they didn't yet create the presidential veto they didn't conceive of that yet so one option was instead of that you would have the president together with the supreme court jointly vetoing having the power to veto so number one you would have elected representation the president it wouldn't, right now, the, the design that we follow, which is erroneous, is only unelected, life tenured dudes. No, this was shared with the president. Number two, it was instead of the veto, not on top of it, right? You can't have that much leverage against the, uh, the democratically elected legislature. You have a legislature, then you have a presidential veto, then it goes before the courts for another round of vetoes. But I'm not done yet. In order to appreciate Madison's original design, because it sounds stupid. What do you mean? Madison was a judicial supremacist? No, it was actually a very sensible design, if you understand what it was. Again, it wasn't on top of the presidential veto. It was with the presidential veto. So it wasn't two layers above the legislature. It was one, and it was together with some form of tenured, elected representation through the president. But it's more than that. Under Madison's original design, Congress would have been insanely powerful and unchecked so you needed a stronger role against it meaning congress actually had the pa- a couple of things and I, I i might be forgetting some aspects of this but let me just say what i do know congress would have had the power to veto state legislatures did you know that in the original design so you know you have i don't know uh Texas, let's say, passes a law where we're banning abortions beyond six weeks, and Congress could then vote to affirm or veto that state law. It's like, whoa, okay, that, that's a tremendous amount of power they had. I'm not done yet. Under the original design, the legislature, this is before the Connecticut Compromise, the legislature was unicameral. It was one uniform body elected the same way. Man, that's a lot of power. One body, and you guys could do whatever you want. I mean, basically, one body, um, not bicameral, elected all the same way. They could veto... They could not just create any federal system they want. They have exclusive reign on the federal system. They could, they could mess up anything a state does, right? Meaning even something legitimately that a state has a right to do, that was the original design. So then when they came to, okay, well, now we have a legislature, what's going to be the check and balance? So that's when they involved the Supreme Court in this Council of Revision, Remember, bicameralism is a huge, huge check. A lot of people are like, well, okay, the legislature, you know, they have their power, we need to check it. But bicameralism is a, is a built-in check. I mean, you know this at a federal level or a state level, the amount of things that pass one chamber and not both is like 80, 90% in a given year. To pass both chambers is a bigger deal. That, that, that takes a lot more support. That in itself is a check. And especially like the original design when the senators were not popularly elected, but they were elected, they were stewards of the state legislatures. Ah, now you can understand, right? You have two bodies you have to pass. They're elected very different. One's directly the people, one's the states. Oh, that's already divesting. That makes a lot more, a lot harder to pass something. Very hard to pass things that way. Okay? So here, under our current system, they cannot veto state legislation. You have bicameralism. Now, we did make them both popularly elected, but that was stupid, and that was done later. It wasn't the original design. So you have to pass the House, and then the Senate, which is controlled by the states. And remember, at the end of the day, Who are the federal representatives? They're of the people of the states. Okay? Then we have a distinct presidential veto that we put on top of that that ultimately was designed. The notion that Madison would have countenanced on top of that a separate exclusive layer of only the Supreme Court Okay, that's life-tenured unelected that is able to strike down something passed by Camerley and went through a, a presidential signature and they could exclusively wash that away, dude, I mean, and they have no response to it other than amend the Constitution. Are you kidding me? That's more despotic than anything. And again, the whole thing was that they originally had the congress which which is elected and held accountable by the state legislatures and the people every 2 years. But it was shaky to give but they gave them that power to veto state legislatures. And then they wanted a check on that. The notion that now the courts could the federal courts could nullify any single thing that a state legislature does with finality for the rest of time. Without a check. Remember, Congress was going to do that under the original design with a check. And remember, Congress is elected by the states and the state legislatures. So, you know, if they don't like what they're doing, like, get out of here. Here, we would somehow have overlords for the rest of your life, never stand for election. And they could nullify anything a state does. So, you know, you have it past the, I don't know, the Tennessee House 100 to 0, the Tennessee Senate 50 to 0, You know, governor signs it and boom, nine unelected judges or an unelected district judge. If, you know, no one ever takes up the appeal, you know, one guy, boom, you're done. Never. That was never the design. That's what we need to get back to. Okay, we all, the people themselves, we self-sort, we have national divorce. This is what it means not to be a short-sighted, social media, thumb-sucking, phony conservative like 90% of my colleagues in this business. I'm sorry, but that's just how it is. This is the vision we need. We have never had a better opportunity to break the bonds of judicial supremacism because we've never had a time where the left, erroneously in my view, perceives the coming of a conservative permanent majority on the courts. Let them think that. And we'll say, look, let's cut a deal. This is what we are going to need, I am telling you. Do not doubt me. This Supreme Court fight, if we play our cards right on judicial supremacism and we actually say, hey, it goes to the legislatures right now and, and ban abortion, we will help hasten this national divorce. And that's what we need. That's what we need. Now, by the way, on another note, I must say, that uh, conservative candidates supposedly won all 10 contested seats for school board and kicked out at least three incumbents in Fort Fort Worth elections. This is very important because a lot of you are like, well, Daniel, what do we do? What do we do? You know, we only have Republicans. We don't have a new party. Get your best candidates on a local level. This is where it's going to matter. We cannot afford to lose places like Fort Worth. We lost Dallas. We lost Houston. We lost San Antonio. We can't lose the mid-sized cities in red states. And we already did, but we got to get them back. If we're ever going to have any degree of autonomy, school boards. This is one of the most positive developments in my mind. The, the Senate elections are a waste of time. Well, we're going to vote for Dr. Oz. Trump was out there, you know, he had, like, the, the owner of J&J. He was out praising him. Oh, he owns Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, great, great, Mr. Trump. It's going to be local sells localism. The power of local government is huge. But I'm just telling you, they have an empire to take us to federal court in three seconds and overturn anything we want to do. Judicial supremacism is the biggest thing it's the biggest obstacle that we have to making red states red. Well, it's the biggest ultimate obstacle. Right now, the biggest obstacle is we don't have red elected officials. But if we do, and we work hard, and we're starting at a local level, and you know there is some degree of success, you know you do any of that stuff that we want to do. For example, I'm just telling you one of the things we want to do is say we are not cooperating. With refugee resettlement, we're not doing that in this red county, red state. Immediately, they're going to take you to to the federal courts, and they're going to say it's a federal mandate. You got to do it. What are you going to do about that? So here, we're going to sit and celebrate Roe. We're going to sit and celebrate a conservative court, and one after another, we're going to lose our country. Don't be short sighted. Play the long game. That's what CR Podcast is all about. That's why I need you guys to send this to the rest of your repertoire of people that you email out political articles to. Send the show as well. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We're going to have some good guests coming up this week. We're going to get back into some of the pro-life news on whole health. We're going to have some doctors on, talk about some, of the more, some more news with the shots, COVID fascism. We have a lot more news coming up. Stay with us. Don't listen to the Teletubby conservatives. This is where it's at. We play the long game. We look at the biggest problems and come up with the solutions. You know, people that just listen to me, they think, oh, I'm so negative. You listen to me for a few weeks, you'll realize I'm actually the most positive of, any- of anyone. Because the most negative thing is thinking you solved something when you didn't. Focusing on a golden calf, a wrong strategy, a false messiah. Okay. You have to slay those idols. You have to slay the things that are preventing you from achieving the right solutions. And that's what we're going to do. It might rankle some feathers, but I know you guys appreciate it. You appreciate the honesty. You appreciate the long view, long and deep. This is what makes the show unique. So again, we need to grow it. We need to spread it. Um, There's so many empty calories that are taking up the conservative ecosphere. And, you know, we got to break that monopoly. That's just the way it is. So send me your comments, questions, concerns to Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Follow me at RM Conservative on Twitter. Support our sponsors here at CR Podcast that are willing to get behind my uh, brave views. Until tomorrow, God bless y'all. And thank you for listening.